in my opinion, having built an Amazon FBA business and, and having worked in Silicon Valley and, and having looked at how internet companies grow, yeah, if you look at the trajectory of Amazon basic SKUs, right, the total number of things that they're looking at, it's increasing rapidly. And I think that's terrifying for Amazon sellers in general. But Welcome to the e-commerce momentum podcast, where we focus on the people, the products and the process of e-commerce selling today. Here's your host, Steven Peterson. So you're looking for an advantage to help you woo a brand. Well, one of the tools that you can use is scope. You could check out their product and then check out their competitors and find the keywords their competitors are using and check out theirs and see that they're not and then say, okay, I've got an idea. Let me do this. Let me enhance your brand. That's the thing you can bring to the marketplace. When you can enhance the brand, you're going to win that account. So try it. You get a free trial, but sellerlabs.com forward slash scope. Use the code momentum and save 50 bucks. It's a free trial. Try it and see if you can enhance the brand. It's time to get the listings right. So what should you do? You should get your images right, right? So Amazing Freedom has a program to help you do that, and we've used them. It's phenomenal what they can do. you got to go look at this. So you go to amazingfreedom.com forward slash photos and take a look at the examples of what you can do with an image. You take and you give them some sample images, um, some simple images, and then what they do is they take and... Um, insert them with lifestyle uh, photos. And so all of a sudden, you're going to see an example of what a plain image looks like and then what it can be enhanced to. Why is this of value to you? Well, you're in the wholesale business. And guess what? You want to add value to the brand. And this is just a simple way to do it. They offer all those kinds of services. Scroll down to the bottom. If you really want somebody to help really improve this service and you want to bring value to that brand because you want exclusivity, the services uh, that they offer for um, listing enhancement will blow your mind. So, again, it's amazingfreedom.com forward slash photos. Take a look at what you can do for your brand that you're trying to get. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. This is episode 392, Tommy Griffith. Um, great story. Uh, very cool guy. Um, Great background, you know, working SEO for giant companies like PayPal and then Airbnb. And his story is what, what drew me into him is, you know, him creating a business. And then uh, after a bunch of non-successful businesses, he figured something out and he figured it out in a big way. And it's kind of driven his life um, going forward. And some of his absolutes are pretty interesting to me. Um, some of the things that he's talking about are just so common sense, but he didn't learn them easily either. And I think that that's the lesson, is that none of this stuff is easy. Um, he used a couple phrases. I never heard this one, the thousand-day principle, to get to replace your income a thousand days. Never heard that rule of thumb, but it three years. It's going to take you three years to replace your income. I get people that reach out to me all the time, Steve, I need to make six figures by Friday. Well, Tommy's going to tell you that's just not realistic, and so therefore you're going to disappoint, and then you're going to give up, and then you're going to walk away. But if you knew you had to get there in three years or a thousand days, then you might break it down differently. So I think solid advice from a solid guy, um, great story, and some some real functional entrepreneurial advice. Let's get into the podcast. And welcome back to the E-Commerce Momentum Podcast. Very excited about today's guest. It's a different kind of guest uh, because he's not a seller selling on Amazon um, or selling on eBay, although he's got a big eBay connection uh, years ago. But I think the perspective he has working for big companies in the SEO field specifically, definitely related to what we do, knows a lot about our business. And 
went out on his own. And I'm, I'm really interested to understand some of those things and how these big giant companies are making decisions without talking to us. Jeff Bezos never calls me. I'm always waiting for his call. And yet they make changes and it affects me. And so I think we, we're going to get some great perspective. I'm very excited about Tommy Griffith. Welcome, welcome Tommy. Stephen, are you saying Jeff doesn't call you? He never calls me, you know? I was going to give him marital advice. I'm married 32 years. I could have helped him there, but oh, he did man. not, man. I, he, I just, he, he would have benefited from that. He needed he needed some help for I a minute there. Huh? The grass is not greener. <laughs> Jeff, do not believe it. The grass is not greener. It is not. <laughs> never. So, but I think he's done fairly well. What's interesting about your story, and I'll go right there because this this was very interesting to me. You're very not self-deprecated. You're very you, you're inward looking at your business compared to these other companies that started after you, and they're billion-dollar companies. And Tommy's click-minded company is not a billion-dollar company yet, is it? It's you know we're we're almost there. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, that's no, a good perspective no, to have. You're no, almost yeah, there. Right. Yeah, right. We're almost there at 0.1% of the way there. No, um, yeah, no, no, we're not. But yeah, I, I, I did an analysis on, I feel like I've succeeded. I felt like I succeeded. And then I took a look back and realized there's multiple billion dollar companies that were started after my business and kind of wrote all my emotions out uh, in a blog post sort of describing the whole process. Yeah. But does that mean you failed? Because I, I think it's really important for understand that, right? So here are a list of companies that were completed or that were created after ClickMinded. Okay, so you were working on click mining for eight years, and then all of a sudden these companies start Lyft, 24 billion, Snapchat, 15 billion, Instacart, 7 billion, SoFi, 4 billion, all the way down to Udacity, a little dinky Udacity, which I never even heard of, of 1 billion. And those are all, by most people's imagination, very incredibly successful. And then there's Tommy's click minded. So did you fail? I mean, did you think you failed and now you got past it? Is that kind of the point of the article? <laughs> yeah. Um, so the yeah the point of the article just a little context for your for your listeners yeah I'm 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 an SEO guy I've been doing digital marketing for ten years um, I've managed search engine optimization at two big companies before this PayPal and Airbnb hence the um, uh, hence the eBay connection the PayPal right right we were actually owned by eBay at the time and they've they've spun off since yeah um, and. Yeah, I had actually, I had kind of, you know, like probably a lot of your listeners and, and you as well had a number of entrepreneurial seizures, um, you know, throughout my, like uh, after, after leaving university and I, I was probably on ClickMinded was probably a, a attempt number 10 or 15. Are you kidding? Um, yeah. I mean, I was, I'm a pro at failing. <laughs> well, you're also a cr pro at launching ideas well or do they make it to the the launch phase or do they die before that usually yeah i mean every every like everyone was a little bit different you know i had a couple you know one or two that i worked on for six months to a year and a, one or two that i'd work on for a month um sort of a, a lot of it stems i'm not sure how familiar you or your audience are with you know the four hour work week and mm -hmm. tim ferris style right yeah. and uh, a lot of it stemmed from that like getting to idea validation and all that. But, um, yeah, the, the first bunch just kind of continue to fail over and over again. And then, uh, the one that seemed to hit, I was managing search engine optimization at PayPal. My boss had asked me to put together like sort of an SEO training course for my colleagues. Um, I ended up doing it and that turned into teaching search engine, search engine optimization to, uh, on the weekends to startups in, in San Francisco. And that was a physical class, like teaching face to face. Um, 
the business, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I, I liked teaching a lot, but the business model was terrible. I mean, <laughs> absolutely terrible. But I ended up being kind of the right place, right time for the online course revolution that that we're sort of in. We're kind of in an online course renaissance right now. And in 2012, um, it was just sort of right place, right time with, with Udemy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with oh, them. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, online course marketplace. Started with them. And uh, it grew and grew and grew and grew. And, you know, within a few years, my side project was generating more revenue than my salary at Airbnb. So you you, blow, you gloss by those little dinky companies, PayPal and, and Airbnb. Um, but those <laughs> of us who are, especially in this world, we, we, we tend to be entrepreneurs. So we tend to stay in Airbnbs whenever we can for, you know, the right reason, the reasons that they state what people are looking for, right? Um, when you think about, your opportunities there. How do you walk away from that? I, I understand that the revenue got to be so high, but there's something else. I mean, hey, where do you work? Well, I work for PayPal. That's a big deal. Or I work for Airbnb. How do you walk away from those? How do you get your ego in check? Is it is it because you hit a half a million dollars in sales? I mean, is that what gets you there? Or is it because you could say you're doing your own thing? I mean, do you get what I'm asking? Yeah, I do. Um, and it, and it was really hard. I mean, uh, I got to be frank. Like, I would, I will, I will never have a better job than I did at Airbnb. It was, it, it was amazing. It was, I got to work on really tough, hard, awesome problems that my colleagues were fantastic. And it was just a, it was, it just feels like a, you know, this is really drinking the Kool Aid. And the founder says this all the time. And I am, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm in pure zombie mode and I've drank in the Kool-Aid, but the, the founders all truly believe it's a once in a generation company. And I think they're right. And so it was, um, it was incredible, but yeah, I was, I had always had the entrepreneurial itch and I, I would actually argue that because the company was so great that I stayed longer than, than I would have oh, normally. Right. Interesting. And so I was sort of ready to go a few years earlier when I had replaced my salary, but stayed there for a few more years because I sort of wasn't, wasn't wrapped up yet. I had more things I wanted to accomplish, um, and things like that. I was actually very much over the city of San Francisco. I was so sick of San Francisco, but really liked my job. So that was sort of what, what kept me there. When you, when you think about those things, uh, when leaving a job like that, there are usually, we used to say, there's not one reason somebody leaves. There's a thousand little reasons somebody leaves. But that San Francisco one could have been a big one. Um, when you think about your business now, now, you know, in the pre-call, we were talking about that. You were in Bali for a long time. Now he's in, it's very depressing where you're at. It's terrible weather. Snowing there, right? Right now? Right. In Honolulu, Hawaii. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. It's, te oh. it's terrible today. Oh. <laughs> but... You know, that lifestyle, those choices, you didn't have that when you were working with Airbnb, correct? Yeah, correct. That's That's been sort of the the massive benefit. I've, I'm now two years out. I've been traveling and growing my business. And that was sort of the the dream, right? The, you know, freeding up on all these people being digital nomads and, and running remote businesses and remote teams and things like that. That was a huge allure to all of it, owning your schedule, owning the the freedom to do what you want and work on what, what you want to work on. Um, that was sort of first, second, and third place for me, for sure. When you think about that, it's interesting because I, I, I want to go a little deeper in this. Um, owning your own business and owning your own time, there's responsibility that comes with that. Because when you were working for Airbnb, you had a project, right? And I'm sure it was huge and deep, big part of it, maybe running it, whatever. But it was still a project, meaning that there was a time frame that you had. That I'm sure there were people pressuring you, but it's different. You still got paid every Friday or every other week, whatever it was. Now owning your own business, the results are 
your fault, good or bad, right? Yeah, How's yeah, that work? For, for sure. And I think, um, you know, I think for people that are currently working and they're trying to make the jump to entrepreneurship, it's it's really interesting because I I've that was me for six years and I know exactly what you're going through. And when I look back on making the jump, I still would do it again with all the risk involved, right? With that said, it is so un- like the the amount of risk and effort and time is um, is so underrated, and I don't think people talk about it en- enough. And the the post we were kind of mentioning, maybe we can link it in the show notes. But the post we were kind of mentioning, where I'm summarizing the last two years of my life, I was you know I worked on this thing for 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 a full three years and uh, I got to this point there's this concept a lot of remote entrepreneurs talk about called the thousand day principle the, hmm. the, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it I the am basic, not yeah so um, it's it's pretty interesting the, the basic concepts going, going going around in a bunch of entrepreneur forums right now is that you need about a thousand days to get your side project up to your current salary levels. So three years. About three years. And a lot of people don't don't get that. Um, and they think it'll happen tomorrow and they're looking for the quick hack and they're looking for the entrepreneur.com article that'll, <laughs> that'll change their, their trajectory, right? But um, three years is a lot. It's a lot of time. Yeah. And it, it took a long time. And so the one of the things I mentioned in that post was that I was walking by a... Um, a Panda Express, and it said in the window, now hiring managers, paying $65,000 a year. And I'm sitting there going, are you kidding me? And I went back and looked at the numbers, and even though I thought my business had succeeded, by the third year, I'm just pulling up the numbers now, by the third year, the business as a side project was generating $117,000 a year. Um, That still was less than, right, if the first year was 11,000, the second year was 49,000, the third year was 117,000. Those three years, I still generated less revenue than I would have managing a Panda Express <laughs> with no with no college degree, right? And so I think the, I think it's very reasonable if you're a little bit nervous about making the jump, I think it's very reasonable to ask whether or not the juice is worth the squeeze. Like it's risky and it, it, it might not work. In fact, to be honest, it, it often doesn't work. And um, I, I was sort of looking back and thinking like, oh, you know, I'm the man, I'm killing it, I'm super successful. And then I look back and I'm like, wow, I would have made more money working at, at, a, at Panda a Panda Express. Express. Ooh, that's so that humbling. Was sort of, right? And so, um, yeah, so that, that trade-off is there for sure, and I wrestled with it often. When you, would you, you said you would do it again. But would you do I, it the same way? Oh, man. That's is that a hard great question? Qu- well, that's it, a great question. And, and let, me, let me go further on there. You had seven or eight different non-successes prior. <laughs> I'm not going to call them failures; they were non-successes. I'm assuming what is, uh, you learned. What does Bob Ross call them? Happy little accidents or yeah. something like that. You yeah. learned something at each one of those. So now, I mean, I would assume the second one was different than the first one. You learned some things in the first one, then the second one, and so you're eight or nine versions in, and you're still hesitant to say you would do it again the same way. Yeah, so I would do the last one that works this this the same way, <laughs> of course, right? Um, I think the the one thing I learned that I that I can pass on to someone um, playing this game and make doing this like sort of decision tree decision calculus on on when to go. The one thing I highly recommend is 
another um, term I've heard coined called exit velocity. The basic idea is if you're currently working for someone, do everything in your power to sort of get paid to work on your side project, right? So for me, I did a pre, and I didn't know this at the time, but looking in hindsight, it ended up being a, a fairly good idea. I kind of parlayed, you know, managing search engine optimization at two of the biggest websites in the world. And then I used the product I created to train up my internal team at those companies, right? The, 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 I sort of used the brand from those companies on my project. Oh, Tommy's the SEO manager from PayPal, from Airbnb, right? I used the product to, Internally, and then kind of by the time I was ready to go, um, the product already had users, traction, traffic, all this other stuff. It was just inherently less risky to make the jump, right? So, exit velocity is basically any current, um, you know, it's it's current connections you have at your company, any sort of branding you have from your company, any sort of professional connections. Anytime you can tilt the trajectory up a little bit before you make the leap uh, and get that like you know proverbial running start, it, it can be really helpful. My first attempt at this, I was a young dumb kid with a buddy of mine, and we tried to start a business and just had no idea what to do. Borrowed money from family and friends and credit cards, and like spent a year on it and just had had gone nowhere with it, right? But that by the time I left. Um, these other companies, I had already had a lot of momentum. So if you're if you're making that decision calculus now, like uh, acquiring as much exit velocity as, as possible, it's like loading up a cannon, right, and pointing it up and like trying to load that up as much as possible before you pull the trigger. I think is a really wise idea. Well, I'm trying to liken this to my e-commerce world, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so I think Tommy's advice would be start selling on Amazon. Let's say you're creating. Uh Steve's uh, tape dispenser. Oh, it's a beautiful tape dispenser, Tommy. This thing is really gorgeous, right? <laughs> so this tape Top dispenser, is, it's going to be worth, oh, it's going to be make millions. I'm going to sell millions of them. Everybody needs one. They're going to keep them in their cars, <laughs> on their bicycles. So People need I'm, tape. Yeah, we need tape. Everybody needs tape, and you need a dispenser. Yeah. But so when I'm creating this, the best advice then in that scenario, if I'm going to use that exit velocity, is to get this selling on Amazon. Get through their, I mean, let's face it, they're the marketplace right now. And so you get all that before going out and doing my website and expecting to get the results. Is that accurate, Mr. SEO expert? Is that? Exactly. Yeah, and actually, um, and we, we actually didn't didn't, didn't chat, chat about this, but yeah, I, um, I had an Amazon business as well with a, tape a friend dispensers. of mine. Was it right? tape dispensers? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was oh, tape dispensers. Stole was, my you, idea. Damn it. You nailed me. <laughs> oh. um, but we, yeah, we did the same thing actually. Um, it was, it was a second business. That business is, is, is working. He's actually focusing on it full time now. And I, and I'm, I'm working, I'm working on my own stuff, but yeah, we did the same thing. Um, after work would work on the, the business started with a small amount of inventory, got it on Amazon, figured out problems, figured out the review stuff, but absolutely got the business to a level where we went through, you know, you can, it's, it's more manageable to deal with a two month shipping delay from the Chinese factory. And it's more manageable when, when Amazon seller support are a bunch of jerks to you and don't answer your questions. And Bezos doesn't call you back, right? You can, it's, e <laughs> it's easier to handle when you have that full-time job and you can sort of, you sort of have a little bit more time. So 100% agree. If you're trying to do this, you need to order, your your first ten or hundred or, or or however many units as possible, and get the listings up and and get going as quickly as possible. Now let's say say uh, Steve's tape dispenser is doing well on Amazon. It's it's a beautiful tape dispenser, and so now he wants to pull it off and go to put out Steve's tape dot com. I mean that's a place people are definitely going to find, right? If I just put up a website that says Steve Tape dot com. 
I'm going to have the same velocity I have on Amazon, correct? No. Yeah, definitely not. So. Definitely not. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> so. So let's take it that way, though, because you're an SEO expert, and I was thinking about that. You know, is that um, using your strategy of getting the exit velocity? So I'm a third-party seller. I'm selling part-time. I'm building my velocity, keeping my job, building, 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 building up good products, hopefully getting my shipments from China, getting my products, get the reviews, get it going. Now I want to move off of there to reduce my cost, to reduce the control, to reduce the competition, right? Can we take that same uh, can we take that same exit velocity from Amazon over to stevestape.com, you know. Bad example. Yeah, but. it's it's it, I, I see what you're saying. It's it's interesting. Um, I think platform. I I would sort of view platform risk in a different category. Like I under you, this is a massive concern, and I really do know what you're talking about, building the brand outside of their ecosystem and not being so reliant on it is a huge thing. And you actually do this in any type of digital marketing. Being too reliant on just SEO is a problem. Being too reliant on just organic Facebook is a problem. Being too reliant on just Instagram is a problem, right? So hedging and making sure you have other channels when things go awry is, is, a, is a massive deal. Um, would I baby step in from Amazon to my own brand? You know, I'm not really sure... Um, I have to think about it a little bit more, but I, but you do need to diversify and what, what you're alluding to now, which is the, the inevitable domination of Amazon and Amazon basics and all these other monopolistic type things it's coming for sure. So I don't, I don't know if I would approach it the same way of like exit velocity from Amazon to, to the next phase, but I absolutely would diversify. I absolutely would not be relying on one channel because, uh, there's no doubt it'll, it'll disappear eventually. Yeah. They use that phrase omni-channel, right? And that's a, we actually even call our three-legged stool. We have three le revenue um, legs in our business and we actually call it omni-channel sales, um, selling on all the platforms we can. Um, however, you know, to be real, majority of our sales are on Amazon, majority yeah, of them, right. you know, and, which uh, is a lot of businesses. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't today. That's the marketplace today. Mm -hmm. Now who knows what it'll be in the future. Does that mean then, <clears throat> excuse me, does that mean that all that SEO stuff, because I was thinking about like PayPal, when you were doing SEO for PayPal, they were pretty much, I don't want to say they were the only player, but they were the winner for sure. Um, I know there were other e-commerce uh, payment platforms, but I couldn't name them. I mean, maybe a few, but yeah. back then they were the dominant one. Are they the dom? Uh, I guess they're still the dominant one. But knowing where we are at today, could they be the dominant one again in the current SEO environment? So, um, yeah. So, enterprise SEO is a really different animal than mm. uh, than what a lot of people think. And I know. PayPal was, it was really interesting to go from PayPal to Airbnb because in general, people hate PayPal. <laughs> and yeah, nobody likes them. And nobody likes them. And then in general, people love Airbnb. So making the switch was, um, was, was really interesting. PayPal is much more like a bank and the enterprise SEO is incredibly boring for it. Right. So it was, it was just because you know, of regulations or what was it? Or yeah, because of I mean, a bureaucracy? It really just big company stuff. And yeah. I would even say enterprise SEO is boring agnostic of the company. So it's things like, you know, the product manager or designer wants to push out a change and that's going to accidentally drop traffic 30% and you need to put together a presentation on why they shouldn't do that. Right. Or, or, well, uh, or you have to spin it in a positive way. Hey, Steve, your fees are only going up 3% this month. <laughs> not 
14. <laughs> Woo. Right, right. That would be probably the copywriter and, and UX designers uh, <laughs> role there. But yeah, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Or and it was stuff like penetrating new markets, right? Like, okay, well, you know, are we ranking for, um, you know, payment processing in Spanish in Peru, right? So we were going for a lot of, um, inter- I was working on a lot of internationalization and, um, you know, both, both buyer and seller side queries in non-English languages. So it just, um, the nature of what I was doing is very, it was very specialist and it was very, it wasn't at all related to the strategy and market share and things like that. So, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a great candidate for knowing what their strategy is. I will say that, you know, even though, um, it was a big, boring, lethargic company that people are very annoyed with. I'm, I was actually crazy impressed that they made that move to, um, acquire, uh, Venmo and, um, what's the parent company of Venmo? Um, I don't know. Uh, I like Venmo. My Venmo experiences. Why do I I think differently of Venmo than I do of PayPal? That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's because it's a cool young startup to focus on the user and 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 (laughs) have all the technical debt. Right. That's exactly why. That that's why big companies buy 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 smaller ones is that it's too hard to turn the big ship around and they just buy them instead. Um, Never thought about that way. That's Facebook buying WhatsApp. That's Facebook buying Instagram. Um, Amazon buying Zappos. Yeah, that that's a good example too. Yeah. yeah, and they left them alone. I mean, they're still left out them there. Alone. Yep. yep, yep. So when you were working for PayPal, that was still owned by eBay, and Correct. so was PayPal. I mean, is it the same model like eBay? Because it's funny, I use eBay, and to get a chain, I mean, it's like you know they have, I forget how many thousands of employees were like Poshmark we sell on, and they got like you know. 30 or 40 people, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just so much easier to list on Poshmark than it is on eBay because it's a giant machine. So the same thing with PayPal versus like a Venmo? Yeah, this is, eBay is such a sad story. I mean, like, breaks my um, heart. Yeah, it's just, I love, hate them. It, it, it's, uh, it's just the big company stuff. I mean, it's, and yeah, I actually think it's less to stuff. do with, it's less to do with these individual companies and just the nature of how a big monolithic human organization works. I mean, it's, it's hard to turn these things around. Um, and they end up not, they end up kind of dying, you know? So Um, do you run your business different? I mean, is that, are these the, you know, I'm thinking about that, right? You've been in those big environments. I've been in the corporate environment. I think of all the, oh God, I hate some of those things that we did. Um, (laughs) There are no way, there's no way I would allow it to go on. I always say it here. I don't want to work for that company. You know, so it's just me and my son most of the time. And I'm always like, I don't want to work for that company. So let's go do this. You know, how about you? I mean, is that, those are those absolutes that you don't bring forward? Like no chance. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's, it's not even on the close to the same, the same scale, but, but yeah, the small companies, uh, with the ability to maneuver, work on what they want to work on, work remotely, keep costs really, really low and don't have, uh, obligations of the shareholders are, are in a really advantageous position to absolutely kill it with their products and with customer service and, and things like that. I, I think there is going to be um, a breaking down Naval Ravikant. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Mm-hmm. He's an incredible yet like angel investor and just sort of pontificator. He just, his, his tweets are amazing, but he, his, the way he views the internet is pretty simple. He says there's kind of every vertical will end up being the future of the internet's going to be one monolithic company per vertical and then thousands or millions 
of small ones, right? So um, there's going to be one search engine, and that's search engine is a bad example. There's going to be one e-commerce player, and that's Amazon. And then there's going to be millions of smaller direct-to-consumer brands, right? Um, like, and and so and he has all these examples of uh, different different sort of online verticals where this is happening. There's sort of one monolithic player and then lots of small ones and all of the medium ones or the mediocre big companies are all going to die. That's sort of the way he, he views it. And I think it's, I think it's interesting. I think it's a, it's a real possibility for sure. So then what's your advice for like, think of our business, right? So we're all small sellers, right? Most of my listeners are going to be small sellers selling, Mm -hmm. you know, half a million bucks to a couple million dollars. Um, making maybe a 20% margin, you know, so they're not killing it, but they're building, you know, they're building something, right? They, like you say, you know, if you're selling half a million and you, if you get to 20%, and I, I would argue, I, I find it hard to believe that you are, if you really got all the costs built in of warehousing and insurance and legal and all the rest of that nonsense like we have, mm. um, you, you're making a, what we used to make it six figures at a job. I can go to corporate America and make that you know, selling cell phones. I always say that at AT&T, you can go make 60, 70 grand selling cell phones. Um, when, when you look at these smaller businesses as they're growing, they all, we all want to grow. We think that growing mm. is the answer, getting bigger, getting that. What you just said, though, is those middle-sized companies are probably going to be in trouble and not going to make it. Or I mean, a middle size relative to a billion dollar or several billion dollar PayPal. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I yeah. think it's too small still. Yeah, I I think the the nature of what you're talking about is still at least what Naval Ravikant is saying is, is that yeah, there's no these small e-commerce sellers in the yeah half million to maybe even up to ten million would still be sort of in the small world. Okay. His, okay. his argument is that Amazon will kill eBay, Walmart.com, right? Like um, those kind of guys. And then the direct consumer, basically the sweet spot is the product needs too much attention and is too cool to make into an Amazon basics, right? So wait, 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 I love that. So too cool and and, uh, too complicated to make an Amazon basic? Yeah, too, yeah, too much, too, too uh, small and cool and too much creativity kind of is required um, to, to, to run it, to manufacture it. And so if it can't be sort of a white label Amazon basics thing, then, then you're okay. Is that, is that, uh, because I I don't want to miss this because a whole bunch of people are going to listen to that over again. Or is that also the way you look at it as the size of the market share? Meaning that if they even got a hundred percent of the market share, you're still only going to sell, you know, uh, I got to be careful what I say because I know a lot of people's products. <laughs> I got to be really careful what I say. Um, uh, tape dispenser. I'm looking around my, yeah, tape dispensers. But I mean, yeah, they're only going to sell a thousand tape dispensers or 10,000 tape dispensers. Amazon's not going to waste their time getting into the basics of making them because it's just not worth it. It's not big enough. Of a, is that is that a, a metric that we should be looking at? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so like, again, the caveat here. The caveat here is that I have no idea what I'm talking about. And oh, so well, I like I have Well, that's kind I'm of important. Not, right? That's kind of important. I but no, no, I'm not, you know, I haven't worked for Amazon. I don't I have no idea what their decision calculus would be. Um and, and again, I would recommend your listeners go to Naval Ravikant actually just did a podcast episode with Joe Rogan. It's incredible. Um highly recommend you check it out. And just it's just his philosophy on the internet um is a piece of what he talks about. But the in my opinion, having built an Amazon FBA business and, and having worked in Silicon Valley and and having looked at how internet companies grow, 
Yeah, if you look at the trajectory of Amazon Basic SKUs, right, the total number of things that they're looking at, it's increasing rapidly. And I think that's terrifying for Amazon sellers in general. But if things are, um, if they're not, if you have a unique product, right, that's that's create that requires creativity and is cool and small, it's just going to be fundamentally. It sort of has to be at the bottom of the list for Amazon, right, to go after. I think this. I think for as, as an easy way to think about it, I think stuff on Etsy is probably safe. Um, safer right than the stuff on amazon okay so so steve's vcr right probably not a good idea that bad example steve's dvd (laughs) player right maybe there's still some on dvd players that's not probably because that would be something that would be might be worth going after however uh you know like you say my rainbow colored tape dispenser might might be a good example okay all right i get it now all right i get it and and and, and, yeah and that's just the nature that's just the nature of how the economy works, right? I mean, we, we have industrialization, we, pro, we, we create processes for things and we standardize things and, and we pump them out, right? Like, you know, that was the, the factories of the industrial revolution did that. Even, even and, and it's the uniqueness that, that sort of pulls people in, right? Hotels have been commoditized, but now Airbnb has, has cool, unique products. Even news, I mean, you go to Google News and you type in a news story and there's 3,000 other articles all in the same news. Like the actual news is I don't want to get too political here, but the news is such a commodity now that the only people trying to differentiate are the people on the saying the craziest stuff on the craziest sides of both ends of the spectrum, right? So everything becomes a commodity, and I think um, the weird, unique products are are going to be the only way to do this for the next 10, 20 years going forward. Be weird and be unique. I love it. Gotta write that one down. <laughs> Be unique. Um, it's it's true. You know, it's funny. We used to think that uh, competitors from overseas. I'm gonna wanna you know, geographically place them, um, wouldn't get into some of these businesses, and they are, right? They have definitely niched down into some of these niches. And I'm like, you go to Alibaba, for example, and it's shocking some of the stuff that they're making. I'm like, are you kidding me? They're now selling that too. Um, and I think, like you say, it's not unique. It's just, it's become, it's a commodity. And the price is down and the price never has recovered on us. So many things that we've done. Hmm. And mm. that's that's the future, Interesting. Huh? Is that the future? I I mean, if Seems I was like a betting it. man, if I was a betting man, that's, that's uh, that's what I would uh, that's what I would bet on for sure. What's interesting to me too is that you're in the information business, right? I mean, your courses and products that you sell on ClickMinded. So your website is clickminded.com, and uh, most of it's digital, um, digital marketing, uh, paid advertising, content marketing. You're not in the physical business as much. Why? Why? Why not? I mean, I guess, is, is it what we just talked about, that you saw that coming and it wasn't your love, or what is that? Yeah, I mean, it's just sort of a different uh, different angle, right? Yeah, we do digital marketing training for entrepreneurs and, and marketers, and I've done both. I've done physical products and both information product. Um, yeah, it's a it's sort of a more related to me personally and my, my lifestyle. I, um, I love to teach. I've been teaching for a long time. And we do a lot of sort of media stuff, right? Um, a growing YouTube channel. We do a lot of webinars. We create a lot of content. And so um, all of our team is all remote as as well. And so we're just sort of better suited to be a digital, um, 
uh, an information product type of business. So it's just kind of more more related to sort of uh, my lifestyle and what I prefer to work on. One and I and I mentioned this in a pre-interview, and I think you glanced on it. You talk about one one day idea seizures. Has this forced you to stop doing the one day idea seizures? <laughs> because I'm guilty of that, and I guarantee you, half of people listening are going to sit back and say, "Oh, is that what that's." Tech, is that the technical scientific uh, term that I, right. you know, I'm having these seizures <laughs> yeah. and they're one day idea and I get them all, I buy it, I'm a domain buyer then. So literally I'll have that idea and I'll be like, oh, got to buy the domain, got to do this just in case. And then next it, day it's gone and I'm like, oh, why did I buy that? <laughs> exactly. The way, the way to see if, the way to diagnose this problem is to check your domain hosting account. And if you have a large number of domains that are sitting there unused and you didn't think about them much more after the moment you bought them, you have the one day idea seizure <laughs> problem diagnosed by the Mayo Clinic. You have the problem. Yeah. So, um, that was, that was, it's really interesting double-edged sword because I think I would not have stumbled onto my business, which is currently working if I hadn't had all these domain, oh, interesting. Like, these idea seizures. Right. So the way I sort of went about it, like, I kind of think about it like you're in a room, you're blindfolded, and you're just punching at the air trying to find a door or a wall or something like that. And I did a lot of like punching and not finding it, right? And every one of those domains and those ideas was like a punch, right? Um, and so, but yeah, on the other side, I stopped doing that. And once I stopped doing that, um, that's when my business started to How did grow you and stop? take up. How? So I think the the one big thing for me is, and this is going to be a tougher pill to swallow, especially for people in the physical product space going over. Wait, you just diagnosed me. You gave me, you uh, say you got an illness, Steve. Here's your illness. And now you're going to say I'm going to make it even worse? Oh, no. Yeah, I'm going to make it much worse. So my, I found, okay, I'll give you an example. One of the ideas I had, um, you know, a couple years in SEO, I just started working at PayPal and I created an app developer lead generation website, right? So, you know, there are a ton of people, the iPhone was growing in market share, this was 2011, and there were a ton of people searching for iPhone app developers. And I ended up creating this iPhone app developer lead generation site. I started getting it ranking for, you know, iPhone app developer quotes and iPhone app developer companies. And it was ranking and I was generating leads. And I just hated it. Like I hated the business, right? I, I wasn't interested in apps. I wasn't interested in iOS, in, um, in app development, iOS app development. And every morning, you know, I was working full time for this company. Every Saturday morning when I went to go work on it more, like I just couldn't get out of bed. I wasn't motivated at all. Um, and so when you're first getting started on this stuff, and a lot of people undervalue this, your own you are the engine of your business, right? Your interest and your motivation and your time is like a car engine. And so your personal interest in this business is the single most important factor you can have. And so wait, to its success or to, I mean, to getting, to getting started, right? Like okay. I view, I view it like a little, you know, single engine propeller airplane on a, on a runway trying to get, trying to get up off the ground. And if you're not personally interested in this, you're gonna die. And, and this kind of relates to what we were talking about before, which is these small, unique, cool products that Amazon Basics isn't going to go after. The stuff that's boring and that you're not motivated by is probably going to be commoditized by the monsters, right? 
So I think the biggest advantage you can have is having a personal interest in the product you're working on or in the service you're working on. I know that's really hard, especially for e-commerce sellers, because there's probably a ton of very boring product opportunities that you might not personally be interested in. But for me, I had a bunch of idea seizures. They were all in stuff I didn't care about, I wasn't motivated by. And it was just like idea after idea after idea. And then the one I was actually interested in, which is search engine optimization, learning digital marketing, teaching digital marketing, um, it was sort of the right place, right time, and everything just sort of took off. But it was because every morning I, w I was down to wake up on Saturday morning at five in the morning and and go start working on my business because it was super exciting and it got me out of bed. But I, I think there's a lesson there, what you're describing. And you, you said it sort of, is that you wouldn't be in this successful place that you are had you not had that illness, Steve. Um, <laughs> but the key is, is that you were acting on it. You were taking action at something and you figured out Nope, don't like this, don't like this, don't like this. And you had the maturity to walk away from them. To me, that's, that's, a, that's, a, high, that's a high lesson to learn. Um, but it sounds like it worked out. And then you started seeing this common thing, hey, I like doing this for this company. I like doing this. Magically, they're the same, and therefore you figured it out. So hmm. very, very cool. Interesting. Yeah, I've never I've never reflected on it like that, but I but maybe you're right. Well, you said it. I mean, I'm just repeating what you said. I'm not putting what <laughs> somebody said I put some words in somebody's mouth. I'm not putting words in your mouth. You actually said it. Um, and you said you wouldn't be as successful had you not had that disease. You you wouldn't have found this, I guess is the right way to say it, right? You That's right. you weren't That's experienced correct. with it. Um what you know, I'm thinking about lifestyle now. So you've designed this lifestyle clearly. You wouldn't be living in Hawaii or you wouldn't have come from Bali to Hawaii. I mean, let's face it, you know, like you said, it's Bali on uh, 10x or, or whatever your phrase was. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. really improved. Bali, Bali with a Safeway. <laughs> yeah, oh, with a Safeway. Yeah, right. So you can go actually go get food, real food. Um, so this lifestyle you've designed, um, that intentional. How long did it take you to get comfortable? And I heard you say the thousand hour. That's three years to get to a level of success just to replace your income. That's long enough. But how about to get to a place now where you can up your costs, moving from Bali to Hawaii is definitely a little bit higher. How do you get to that comfort level? How long did that take? Yeah, I mean, I, I know everyone's looking for the overnight success, but hmm. it took seven years. Seven years, wow. Uh, seven years. Seven, an overnight success of seven years. <laughs> <laughs> seven year um, overnight success. Yeah, and I think I think the there's a myth out there around around the overnight success. I mean, every you you hear this all the time, and it's just never true. Like people talk people talk about Airbnb that way. They say Airbnb is the overnight success, and they were a similar boat where they you know their first their founders were all living on credit cards for the first couple of years. None of them had quit their jobs. They were all working on other things. Um, you know, every investor they talked to said, I hope you're working on another idea. And it took them three or four years before they really started to take off. And then even now, you know, they're still growing and growing and growing and growing. But, um, but the, the, the story gets convoluted into saying, Oh, it's just, all they did was launch the website and it blew up the next day. And mm -hmm. just, ne it just never goes that way. Of course, my business is, is a much, much, much smaller scale uh, of that. But, um, but yeah, it just people, it's it, it also in this, this, this culture we live in of everyone's always killing it, right? You go on social media and everyone's always killing it. You got a Lambo. Do you have a Lambo? 
everybody's got Lambos, right? <laughs> we actually did an email marketing campaign um, up around, you know, how we were launching the new phase of our products, and and the see, subject line was, "Sorry, there are no Lambos here." Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but everyone is life sculpting. Everyone is is Ooh, putting their, yeah. their best face forward, fake faking their photos and adding filters to their photos and lying about their business numbers. And um, the reality is, it's a it's a grind and it takes a long time. And so I think that's another reason to um, be genuinely interested in what you're working on because I got bad news for you. You're probably gonna have to buckle up for a pretty long ride because it just takes time. You know, one of the other things that I wanted to make sure we got time to talk about is when changes are made outside of your control. One of the the limits that we have is most of us who sell mostly on Amazon, you know, again, he's not calling and asking for advice. So there's huge changes made that affect our business every day. I mean, every month, let me say it that way, there are big changes and you either adapt or you die, right? You experienced that same thing when you were working for these large companies. How do you handle that now in your your own company? Because you're getting to some size and you got other people that you have to rely on, which is always a challenge. How do you how do you handle those things now in this size business that you have now? Yeah, and I think that is an advantage of the smaller um, of the smaller players, actually. Right, being too reliant on these large channels is is a huge problem yeah so we talked about the diversification of channels earlier which is a is a really good idea but there's there's a ton of examples out there of, of people dying you look at demand media right they're a publicly traded company 100 percent reliant on google and you can see in their stock price look at the entire history of demand media stock price you can see the day they were hit by a google algorithm update and they were too big to turn it around zynga is another good one. They had a bunch of, uh, you know, Farmville and all these social games, and you can see in their stock price the day that Facebook changed their the newsfeed algorithm. You can see it, right? I think it's actually much easier to to gain exposure to multiple channels as a smaller company. And if you if you rely on just one channel and you grow a ton, you have a way bigger risk of having your legs cut out. Excuse me, having your legs cut out from underneath you. Um, and so, yeah, I think moving moving more of your efforts into lots of channels i liked your idea of a what do you call it, a three-legged stool yeah um, well, we have a three-legged revenue i got that from dan miller uh, from dave ramsey fame and you're talking about that multiple you know multiple streams of income but a three-legged stool i mean it just you can't have it your business won't operate with two right a single legged you got to be a pretty good balancer but with three you can get some stability yeah and so and we we talk a lot about this purely from a a traffic and sales perspective on digital digital marketing only, right? So some portion of traffic and sales coming from SEO, Facebook ads, right? Um, your email list in e-commerce would have other things too, like Amazon, eBay, Etsy, things like that. But, but yeah, hedging, hedging for the day when, when things inevitably start to get, start to get choppy uh, is a really good idea, obviously. Well, you just said something now that I, I mean, we're almost at a close. And I want to make sure we add value. Uh, what you just said makes perfect sense to me. So, as an SEO expert, your recommend your, what you just said to me is your recommendation, right? Is to make sure that you have traffic coming from all those different places. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And and, and I, I how I, do you I, do that? I'm a I'm a two or three person operation, uh, <laughs> you know, Tommy. I mean, it's it's a lot of work. <laughs> it it is a lot of work. Yeah. We um, I mean. I, you know, I was an SEO specialist for a really long time. That was sort of the one thing I did. But the the last two years that we've sort of pivoted the business, our business to not only, of course, 
teaching more people, teaching people about other different types of channels, right? We teach SEO, we teach paid advertising, content marketing, social media, but we also do everything that we yeah, you teach have to. as well. Right? Because we otherwise to, you're not going to grow. Right, exactly, exactly. Duh, yeah. Steve. Uh, <laughs> that was pretty deep but, there, wasn't it? <laughs> there's, but one, um, one, one interesting hack or like kind of add value to your users that, that I think is worth thinking about. Platforms change all the time, right? Um, Google is looking very entrenched right now, but you know, uh, you could make the argument over the last year that Facebook is getting wobbly. You know, no one remembers MySpace. Um, you know, certain certain platforms have have risen and fallen just in the last year or two, like like Vine, right? Or right. how long how long will Pinterest last, right? So um, these algorithms can eBay. eBay is a great example. E-commerce player number one in the late '90s, right? And and now you know it's like. It's the garage sale, um, the little engine that that could, but could be doing way better too. Right, so um, these things change all the time. But there is an exception. There's an evergreen exception, in my opinion, and it's email. Um, and the reason why is because is the difference between protocols and applications, right? So Facebook is a web application. Google is a web application. Instagram is a web application. Email is a protocol. It's the SMTP protocol. It's a way by which we communicate with each other. And so there's actually less platform risk on your email list, right? So, um, you know, Google's algorithm can change and you can lose rankings. Amazon's algorithm can change and you can lose rankings. Facebook's newsfeed algorithm can change and you can lose visibility. But your email list doesn't really go away. And unless people start fundamentally changing how they communicate with the protocol that they communicate by, which is the SMTP protocol, it's not going to go away, right? You can, when you build your email list, that's a portable asset that goes with you. No matter what happens to your business, no matter what third-party players do, no one really can take your email list away. And it's just this really underrated channel. Like until, until we stop using email, it's, it's going to be a valuable asset that's a little bit more sort of secure. It's kind of the bunker in the storm for a lot of different things. So there's always going to be platforms falling and rising and jumping on them as they rise is a really good idea. Um, and trying to jump off them before they fall is also a really good idea. But one sort of way to just avoid that whole decision is to, to, to build and grow and nurture your email list. So just some food for thought. And so, huh. As I sit and think about it, because, you know, hey, Tommy, I got to get on Instagram. I got to grow my Instagram followers. I'm not getting enough momentum. So I'm putting all that effort there. Or like you say, Facebook followers. I got to get my group up. Go back to basic. I mean, is that back to basics? Back to, is is that because everybody else is doing what I just said? I mean, is that why? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, um, you know, don't get me wrong. Growing an email list that people love and that you're providing value to all the all the time is, is not easy. Um, you still need to have your customer avatar figured out and have your voice figured out and figure out how to pro provide value all the time. But yeah, a lot of people don't understand that, um, email is a protocol that is now ingrained in how we use the internet. And it's a, it's probably the best, um, internet marketing protocol that you can use as a, as a channel. And it just isn't reliant on public companies terms of service and whatever the political whim is of the day and all these other things. So it just hasn't died yet. It hasn't gone away. And, um, we've seen a massive, a massive value out of focusing on our, 
on our email list. And there's a number of companies that, that, that derive a ton of their revenue from their email list. So it's just a, it's just a good thing to be working on for that day when the storm inevitably hits. Okay. I think it's solid advice. And I think people are going to be sit back and say, huh? Okay. So Steve's got this little brand. I got my tape dispenser. It's beautiful by the way. And so I've now got customers buying my products. So you're saying, Steve, develop that email list, get that entrenched dying customer list, own it, really market to it, and then you, you have rights to it, correct? Is that, that, that's, is that that's the, correct. Is that, almost, uh, is that almost the exit velocity? I mean, it's, it's sitting there thinking about that. Is that <laughs> yeah. where, if you're going to put your effort, is that, it sounds like that's what I should be so, doing. So I think there's, especially if you're an e-commerce seller and you're new, I think the, the way, I don't necessarily think building an email list is the right way to start. Okay. I think the email list is a good way to hedge against future uncertainty of platform risk, right? Um, the best way to start is to relentlessly find sales anywhere you can and be as desperate as humanly possible. So whatever it takes, whatever platform, because you just don't know what's going to work. But the email list is a really good sort of bellwether for like, um, you know, if we lose everything tomorrow on X platform, what would we do next? Can we cross sell, upsell? and uh, like cross-promote people on our current email list, how would we do that? So I'm not necessarily convinced it's the best way to start, but it is a really good way to hedge against future platform risk. And is there a magic math formula that we could do to sit back and say, all right, I'm doing half a million dollars in sales. And so if I have, you know, 10,000, I guess, I mean, I guess the answer is going to be, of course not, there's no math, Um, 10,000 eBay or email followers, excuse me, um, on my list that are probably either have inquired about my products or have bought my products. Uh, I guess there's a conversion factor. I mean, this is Steve doing his own math, right? So you got to, you need to know what your conversion factor is. Okay. never mind. That was a dumb right. question. I get it. <laughs> nah, I was stupid. I, I, I was trying to figure out, is there a way, cause I'm, I'm back on that exit velocity. And I, I honestly think that there's a whole group of my people sitting back saying, man, I've got to find another place to sell where I don't have to worry about losing my, ad every single day, right? I mean, it's one of the big fears is that a competitor can come on your listing and they mess with your, you know, they just say it was, you know, wasn't as described and they do it a couple different times. And guess what? Amazon's algorithm rewards them for that black hat tactic, right? They, it rewards mm. them. And so therefore you're at that mercy every single day, hoping that nobody's going to mess with your system. So you're looking for a B plan. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out, is there a, you know, what's the safety net you know, where you are safety stock, we used to call it in the accounting world, you know, for, for protecting yourself. Um, doesn't right. sound like there is one. Hmm. Well, so I think, and the problem email, the email list becomes a problem. If you have, I think it's email is harder. If your products are more basic, more boring, more commoditized and are sort of, there isn't a ton um, to them. And I'm not, I'm not hating on these at all. Actually, when I first started my FBA business with a friend of mine, we first started in these incredibly boring, uninspirational products, but the people still needed them. Right. And, um, so they're like the way we usually recommend to go about email marketing is doing a lot of providing value, doing, you know, um, showing different ways to use the product, talking about different stories of users using the product, problems that you solve after using the product, and sort of like setting up automations that 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 get users warmed up to this stuff and prodding, uh, adding a bunch of value before asking them to convert. Th- this is a little bit harder if you're selling um, tape dispensers, right? So it's not a one-size-fits-all 
solution. I actually don't uh, don't know if I would recommend building an email list to 50,000 people if you just have one SKU and it's just tape dispensers. I'm not I'm not actually entirely convinced that that, that would be the, it's beautiful the, the tape right dispenser. Move, right. It really is. <laughs> but this is your 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 mini course that you give away. So you know, let let's face it, we're not pitching your stuff and Steve doesn't benefit in any way other than somebody using it and if they benefit, that's awesome for me. Um, but click-minded, you have a free email marketing mini course and so these are the kind of things that you're talking about in these things the the free portion i mean i'm assuming that at some point you're going to say hey steve i give you some free i'm warming you up right hence the warm-up and then i'm going to pitch you on a more in-depth course if you if you need to get more from it but these are the kind of things that you're talking about in these courses that's exactly right yeah you actually you can you can if you go check out any of our free uh mini courses it's very meta because we're teaching how to do this and then you'll you'll later get the pitch right yeah <laughs> so, right. No, i get it you're right. So you come in, we provide a ton of value, we give you a bunch of free stuff, and then we say, hey, by the way, if you want to enroll in the full thing, here's here's a link to, to buy. And all of it's automated. Um, and, and the basic goal there is, yeah, 98% of everything we do is free. But if you want to learn even more and you want to learn faster, then you pay for the full for the full product. Um, but that's a little bit different in the inf information product world versus, uh, versus physical products. Physical products, you can do some similar things. I'm not sure if you've played with, I think they call it free plus shipping. Right or different kind of offers like that one-time offers where it's like a very low-priced product and then sort of the gateway drug into your your higher value stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. There's a there's a bunch of stuff you can do there on the email marketing side for sure. So it's clickminded.com and then there's under courses and products. Um, there's I'm going to read them down real quick and again I don't benefit digital marketing bundle SEO training paid advertising content marketing email marketing social media marketing sales funnels Google Analytics and SOP library. So again oh, the SOPs are so critical big deal um mm. but again it's that i agree with you when you warm them up and so by giving away certain things and helping people eventually when they're looking it's a relationship you're starting the relationship by giving these away so i i, I do appreciate that so again that's clickminded.com and so you know before i ask my final question i just want to make sure people understand if they have a follow-up question uh tommy gave me his email contact it's tommy at clickminded.com and that's pretty easy. Tommy at clickminded.com. And it's actually you answering, right? It's not somebody that's else. Me. That's not, really it's not a robot. It's not, not a robot. robot. Not a me. chat bot uh, with a little head making a move. <laughs> All right. So the last question I always ask anyone is, because I always look for people, at least in my world, and maybe I'm talking to myself half the time, is I get that, you know, my... Uh, um, my one day idea seizures, I get stuck. I mean, if I add on, I, hey, I got a million ideas every single day that I don't execute or I don't execute them well, but then I hit the point of getting stuck and, and getting past that point of stuck for me has been a challenge. For many people, it becomes a challenge. What's your advice, um, especially because you got this breadth of experience for getting past that stuck point? Yeah. Do you mean um, do you mean stuck in traffic, stuck in sales, stuck in like um, motivation? Yes. Well, it, it, I mean, aren't they all the same thing? I mean, isn't there a common? Mm. At least, at least for me, you know, when I look at the reason that I get stuck, they're almost all the same reason. You know, um, it's almost for me. So, well, you answer it the way you want to answer it. Yeah, it was a good one. I um, the, my, my one of my buddies that I'm frequently on the phone with talking talking uh talking business with he makes fun of me because i just relentlessly say this all the time but my move my go-to move um you gotta move stuck on, tommy's gotta move. move oh man i gotta move patented move patented pending move um i like to do what i call a violent change in direction and 
um, the basic idea is like, I don't know what's wrong. So I change everything. It's like the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do with like statistically significant conversion rate optimization testing. I change everything. And I mean, I, you know, drive to work a different way. I change my office around. I wear different clothes. I call people I haven't called before. I eat different food. I do a different workout. Like I change everything about my day and I do that until I break through. And it's like, it's like you're blindfolded and kicking and punching and screaming and you just run in the other direction and things open up. Uh, it's not, it, sometimes it makes absolutely no sense and you actually look like a crazy person on the outside, but I just change every single variable in my life. It's just a violent change in direction because it's just the old, I mean, it's super cliche. I don't know if it was Einstein. It's probably attributed to the wrong people all the time at this point, but it's just the what the definition of insanity, right, is yeah. doing doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, and it's super cliche at this point. But the 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 results way to to embody that quote is to take a violent change in direction um, until you break through. Love it! Oh my God, I got that. I even wrote it down. Tommy's move. Love it, love it, love it. That's a shirt. Anybody who's done a new merch shirt, this is a good one. There you go. Well, you know, I really appreciate it because. Uh, I think you've got great perspective. You walked away from, like you said, your dream job, the the best opportunity, probably the best opportunity you ever had or maybe will have. However, in no way does it measure with the life that you're living now, that you are life sculpting, um, but not fake, fake faking. <laughs> I love that. I've never heard that phrase, uh, fake faking. I'm like, ooh, that's like, um, very, very cool. Um, so again, you can follow up uh, um, clickminded.com, Tommy at clickminded.com if you have further questions. Man, I, I thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I wish you nothing but success. Yeah, Stephen, this was great. Really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Great story, great guy, um, great ideas. A lot of good information in there. Go back and listen to it. But remember, are you life sculpting or are you fake faking? Ooh, how deep is that? Remember Tommy's move. Uh, I might try Tommy's move, you know, a violent change in direction. So if you see me all of a sudden with a tattoo on my arm, an earring, um, my hair slicked back instead of combed, nice and tight, maybe a beard, maybe I'll have to do that. I'm, you know, I'm going to have to start, um, I can go back to a leisure suit or something cool like that and I'd look really cool. A violent change in direction. Um, sometimes that might be what's needed to, to break you free. Uh, if, if you have not been able to break free, try it. What do you got to lose? You can get freedom. That's awesome. So again, reach out to Tommy, uh, Tommy at ClickMinded if you're interested. Go check out the free stuff. Definitely worth it. Um, and you might find value. EcommerceMomentum.com, EcommerceMomentum.com. Take care. Thanks for listening to the E-Commerce Momentum Podcast. All the links mentioned today can be found at ecommercemomentum.com under this episode number. Please remember to subscribe and like us on iTunes.